Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Kevin. And I'm Eric. And this is Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger, the podcast where we take a long, hard ugh, look back at some of our favorite action movies from the era of Arnold. Schwarzenegger is the icon of the genre, and we're taking a deep dive into some of these 80s and 90s cult action movies and breaking them all the way down. maintain that you have a much better Arnold impersonation than I do. I yeah, practice makes perfect. I've been doing it way too long, but <laughs> welcome back everyone to Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger. Uh, I'm Kevin, that's Eric. We're going to be just treated to see just how drunk Eric's going to get tonight. We're going to see. We're yeah. I'm, I'm halfway through a second bottle of wine. I know I would die if I tried to do that. So I'm sticking with um whiskeys. I've switched to what Jack Daniel single barrel rye. I'm um, still I'm still on the same bottle that we yeah. we had last week. Look, you're not gonna get a third bottle tonight. My no, friend. that is not so. happening. I'm not gonna ask for a third bottle. <laughs> so pace yourselves, uh, listeners <laughs> and Eric. Um, <laughs> welcome to everyone who's listening on the Last of the Action Heroes podcast network. Thanks for joining us. Also, if you're listening to us there, check us out on our own feed, the Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger feed. Check us out on social media because Eric's making things happen over there. I do. I have fun times with it now. Um, yeah. And uh, we'll talk more about Red Dawn, this Ooh. fucking bizarro 80s like <laughs> alternative reality movie, I guess. I mean, John Milius directed it and sort of did a final pass on the script. He's admitted that he's this sort of like war fetishist mm -hmm, almost, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Like he tried to volunteer for the Vietnam War, but he was rejected because he had asthma. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I did read that. Yeah. He said in interviews that he feels like, you know, because he missed out on his war, he feels like he's been obsessed with war ever since. And we, this came up, I think, on the, on the Conan the Barbarian podcasts, but, um, that movie was written by Oliver Stone and Oliver Stone is like the flip side. I feel like to that coin where they were both these like sort of privileged dudes. Like basically if you don't know Oliver Stone, the movie platoon is sort of autobiographical to his story. Like he was an Ivy leaguer, I think who dropped out of Ivy league and enlisted in the mill in the mm -hmm. Marines because mm -hmm. he felt like it wasn't fair that like, rich kids were getting to duck the war and, and poor kids weren't or whatever. But he went and saw combat in Vietnam and he emerged like very left wing and very like anti-war and everything like this. And then meanwhile, Milius, who was on the same path but got turned down for military service, you know, he comes away very right wing and like war is glorious and all this. And I'm, I think it's fascinating that the dude who actually saw war is like, no, war is fucked. I don't want to. And the dude this. who didn't see war is like, war is awesome. War is where men find yeah. glory. Yeah, and you know, 
I don't want to go too deep into this, but it, I don't think that that's wrong though. Right. I mean, there is, and, and this movie glorifies it. It glorifies war. There's no question about that. Right. And I, I think that if you actually see it firsthand, how could you not be disgusted by it? Of course. And want to avoid it at all costs. Right. So it doesn't surprise me that yeah. that's the way it turned out. I think out. it's fascinating, though, that, like, I just think it's fascinating just psychologically in every yeah. other way. Yeah. Like, if you actually went through war, you wouldn't be sitting around at home thinking, like, rah, rah, go America, we're the best, we'll fuck some communists up, <laughs> you know, type milius thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Waving my gun around. <laughs> Just to make a point which, or whatever. Which, as we know, at this point, he did carry with him every day Facts. on set, so, which is just crazy. But we're here to take on part four of yep. our podcast on uh, Red Dawn. Do you want to try to tell like what's happened, what, <sighs> just what's happening in general yeah. in the movie? So uh, the movie opens really quickly with uh, 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 bad guys parachuting down into Colorado they murder a bunch of people. A couple of high school kids manage to make it into the mountains. They survive on some supplies and ammunition, but they ultimately need to go back in town to see what's going Capri on. Capri Suns and Campbell soup. <laughs> and some soda. <laughs> and lots some, of soda. Lots of soda. Lots of soda and drinking deer's blood. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they ultimately need to go back into town where they learn a lot about what's going on. A lot of chaos happens. Dads die, mass graves, chaos ensues, but the Wolverines emerge from the chaos and they take the fight back to the Russians. At some point, an American fighter pilot is shot down. Um, Powers Booth plays this character and he kind of plays, he becomes sort of almost the the elder statesman of the older yeah. of the Wolverines in a way. Sure. They, they take the fight back to the prison camp where all the good Americans are living. They free the prison camp. We don't exactly know what's going on, but Powers Booth and everybody ride off into the night. Powers Booth has a new bottle of liquor. He has a drinking problem, that Powers Booth. I His feel like he does. does he anyway. does, yeah. Yeah, he's like constantly. <laughs> Later on, he's pounding moonshine. We'll get to that. But... um. So yeah, it's the morning after the big raid on the on the re-education camp. Um, the Soviet intelligence officer he's chewing out the guy, the the Nicaraguan or Cuban who seems to be in charge, Bella, for letting a group of kids continue to get the better of him. Yeah, um, there was some random dude being lowered on like a rope in the background, and I wasn't sure if that was like. I, I feel like it was like a communist soldier that got like lynched up or something like that because they yeah. seem to be taking him down with care. That's yeah. Whatever. That was in the guard tower, right? Yeah. So I feel like, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and we also see they've got some prisoners like that are lined up and being shot, like yeah. executed or whatever. The, the guys last that, of them. I guess who didn't escape yeah. for some reason. Yeah. Um. So Bella says the executions, you know, are only serving to fan the flames of rebellion. He's not wrong. <laughs> he says, you know, I used to be a rebel fighter just like the Wolverines. Now I'm an oppressor. I don't like, and he doesn't seem to like it. He goes no. storming off. The foundation is like starting to crumble here. I feel like this is like when the Russian crowd started cheering for Rocky. Yeah. You know? yeah, right? yeah, yeah like, yeah, the yeah. fuck is going on around here? But 
the Wolverines, they have like a little Sandlot football game. Which going. I love because in episode one, we were yeah. talking about like they steal the football. It's like finally why been paid off. It's paid off. <laughs> it's the worst football field you could imagine because it's like on a down slope and it's un- <laughs> unlevel and everything like that. But Charlie Sheen, he puts a big old hit on Powers Booth, who appears to be in pain. This hurts my like old bones just looking at him like getting knocked down or whatever. But now comes the part of the movie where things turn kind of creepy. Yes, a little okay. bit. So the-, the girls wander up to see, are you doing all right? Leah Thompson's like trying to help him up, but it said he pulls her down on the ground with him. So Jennifer Gray takes a cue. It's like, oh, it's time for me to leave yeah. you two alone. I'll just be over here while you're trying to like fuck this older dude or whatever. So... Leah Thompson asks him, how, mu- how old's your wife? And he says, oh, she's old like me. Then Leah Thompson. Doesn't he say like a million years she's, old? Uh, yeah, she's a like million that. years old. Just like me. So Leah's in like, what's she like? And he says, oh, she's feisty like you. And then it starts to tickle her. Right. Which is creepy as Which fuck. is so weird. Um, it's a bizarre seduction on so many levels. Yeah, yeah. But then Leah's like, how'd you meet? And he's like, we met in a closet at a party. Which sounds like, were they like fucking in the closet, like hooking up in the closet or yeah, something? I like, didn't really understand. I, we met, it was like. It was like, strange. Okay, whatever. I yeah. assume that means that like it was sort of like go in the closet and make out with a stranger sort like of Like seven minutes in heaven, but what are right. we, in high school? Like it was I, so may, bizarre. Yeah. yeah. And then he's like, oh, I couldn't stand her at first, but now, but now I love her so much it hurts. So then uh, Leah Thompson's like. Okay, do you still love her like that? Mm-hmm. And he wants to know, why do you want to know so much about her? <laughs> and I honestly, it's like, I like how she's like, I like how much he loves his wife. That makes me really hot. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird. But Charlie Sheen wanders over. He's like, you guys playing football or what? <laughs> and Leah stops and screams like, no, no. <laughs> Can't you see him trying to fuck this guy? <laughs> It was it was so weird. The whole that whole situation, especially given earlier in the movie, when he's looking at the the rocks where the victims have been etched into the yeah. rocks, and she's got the bouquet of flowers, and she giggles and titters and runs off. This, I mean, it's like, okay, so is there like a romance going on here? Like, what is going to happen? Absolutely, I think right, but it's yeah, weird and creepy. Yeah. So later on, the entire gang's hanging around at, at the Mason's cabin. They do. They go back. They go they down go back, from right. the mountains. That's the girl's yeah. grandparents yeah. from earlier. So it's nice to see they put up all the Christmas decorations. <laughs> that was weird. I was like, oh, they're festive. No matter, okay. no matter who is besieging your yeah. ranch, it's so, never too dark for Christmas. So Mr. Mason, he's telling Patrick Swayze that people in town are starving and they want to smuggle their kids out to you mm-hmm. to like join up with the Wolverines or whatever, mm-hmm. which seems like a fucking surefire way to get discovered. Oh my God. And, and massacred or whatever. But Swayze's like, I got my hands full. You know, Mr. Mason's like, you're a leader now, which is fucking weird. Yeah. So Mason says, you know, the communist and the people all over have heard of you and they know who you are. Which I guess is cool to be famous or whatever, but yeah. Mason then says that you know there's rumors that when the spring comes, the Americans are planning to drop a team of special forces soldiers in to link up with the Wolverines, which 
is weird for Mr. Mason to know. <laughs> I know. Like, how did he get this information? Where did you get your intel from? Who is this Mason guy? Mr. Mason. And like, why isn't it's he all coded messages? I on, know. Uh, like, you know, J- Joe's mustache is large right. or whatever it was. I mean, so, th- but this all gets Powers Booth so pumped up. He's like, starts. He's got that jar of moonshine. <laughs> he's like, oh fuck yeah, <laughs> let's all get shit housed. <laughs> so now Swayze says, "This you know, springs a long way off still." And this is all just talk. Which yeah, fair. Point. He's not wrong. Yeah, dead ass right. Like making it through the winter unscathed. That seems a like a long shot. Yeah. So the, now a title card tells us that it's January. Barren, snowy landscapes, like some fucking Bob Ross painting. Type yeah. Shit. Yeah, the Wolverines are all clad in their white winter camo, which I we're they, just gonna assume they they, they got they, it. They must have stolen it off of people they killed. Right. There's no point in worrying about it. Yeah. So they're yeah. watching as this fighter jet like strikes tanks or whatever, and one yeah. of the dudes is screaming like, "It's ours! It's ours. ours!" And someone's like, "How can you tell?" And I think the fact that it's like striking a communist tank is probably an indication. <laughs> but you know. Powers Booth confirms that it's an American jet. More jets are coming in. They're dropping bombs on like unseen enemies in the distance. It's like some like napalm shit. And we, you know, we, yeah, it's just like on a ridge and it's, it's the same explosion. I, I, the sense that I got when I was watching it was like they had enough money to do a explosion. Like that's it. Okay. We can only film this one time. It's like wide shot close up and then we flip the film over yeah exactly (laughs) so we see the same explosion like four times over and over again but it's supposed to be like an array of explosions right on the boundary line between the contested land and free america on the other side of all these explosions occurring and I, all I could think about was that famous uh, John Milius like line I love the smell of napalm in the morning yeah yeah exactly yeah but it would have been great to see troops like moving around down there or mm-hmm. something like that. Cause we're not seeing really anything. No, but I think, I think the way it is, is also kind of accurate. Like I've heard stories from world war two veterans where they're like, you know, I never saw a German soldier. Mm-hmm. Like we were fighting against them and bo- and like shells were dropping all over, but I never saw a German. But movies are a visual medium, right? Right. You need to show us. Yeah. And so otherwise, <laughs> what are we here for? And so we're watching this. Oh, they're fighting down there. They're fighting down there. We can't really see what's going on. There's yeah. a few explosions, <laughs> but there's no real drama. I mean, the dogfight earlier, you didn't see anything. Right. No, exactly. Like, oh, I hear noises that would indicate that something's <laughs> happening. I don't know. Yeah. Um, in Top Gun, you know, you see this up close fighting, but I think if real in real life dog fighting, someone might be a mile away <laughs> from you and you're shooting your missile at them. Yeah. And you they're a speck on the horizon. Right. You know exactly. what I mean? Like Yeah. 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 And so like from a, a realism standpoint, this battle is actually probably pretty right. accurate, but from a movie drama standpoint, it's actually kind of boring to watch. I'm not going to lie. No, you're right. You're right. So <laughs> now it appears, I, I take it this is like the Western Front where, yeah, it's gotta where be. the communists and the Russians are fighting like high up in the Rocky Mountains yeah. or whatever. Yeah, it's got to be. And it seems like Powers Booth is planning to try to sneak out. And he's sort of saying like, 
yeah, I'm going to see how whatever rejoin the troops, I guess, on the other side of the line. You're just Swayze, and I guess the others, right? You should come with me, um, and you can stop fighting. Yeah. And Swayze is like, no, we can't walk away from the fight and abandon Calumet to its <laughs> this, fate. <laughs> this tiny, small mountain town. <laughs> Which, I don't know. Honestly, like, I feel like Powers Booth, though, is kind of right. I, like, I was on his side. Surviving the, even just surviving the winter. Yeah. Living in the mountains is like a, a long shot, I feel like. Well, just, just from the just from a purely pragmatic standpoint, get out, meet up with Free America. Feed them all the intelligence. Feed them all the intel. Yeah. And then re-up. Do, a, do another tour in. if you want to come back in, right? For sure. That's yeah. what I felt like, Yeah, too, exactly. So. But now, just then, a camouflaged Soviet tank comes rumbling up behind them. So they start scrambling for cover. They hide behind some big rocks. The tank stops like just above where they are and starts uh, firing down onto the battlefield below, like right over the Wolverines' heads or whatever. And then another tank rolls up and starts raining shells down on the battlefield too. And it seems like neither of them, I guess, have seen the Wolverines necessarily. This whole scene was phenomenally confusing to me. Okay. It wasn't clear to me if those tanks were looking for the Wolverines or if they were trying to take out the one American tank on the opposite ridge. But at a, at one point, one of the characters, I don't remember who it was, says, yeah. they're looking for us. Yeah, and then I think and then Powers Booth is like, you're right. You're right, right, some exactly. Shit, something like that. Yeah. Now, the, I guess, American tank that's down on the battlefield starts shooting back. Mm-hmm. The Wolverines are in a bad spot. You're like caught in the crossfire of a fucking tank battle. So one of the Wolverines, probably Danny, like, he started losing his shit. Yeah. Oh my God. Yep. I, I can't yep. do it anymore or whatever. Yep. And Powers Booth tells him like, you take the others and run out of here. And then he jumps up onto the tank and starts sh- like with his handgun shooting <laughs> down into the little, like the windows or whatever, the tank, like, bang, bang, bang. Hero move for Powers Booth. And honestly, at first I was like, I don't really think you need to be doing this <laughs> for the Wolverines to scamper away. Then I think it, I realized I think he's doing this to try to help the the other American soldiers down on the the other tank or whatever. Yeah. But so Arturo, he jumps up, follows Powers Booth, tell like who's like, dude, take cover. But Arturo gets gunned down by the machine gunner or whatever on the other tank almost immediately. And now for the first time in the whole movie, someone calls Arturo Ardvark. I think it's Leah Thompson was like, Ardvark! Ardvark! Yeah, which is like, I... It's too late. I remember pausing at that point going, okay, did anybody at any point... I don't think so. ...in this movie call him Ardvark? I don't think so. Okay. So I'm not crazy because all of a sudden he's dead and they're now calling him Ardvark. (laughs) Right, he doesn't get called Ardvark until he's dead already. Right, exactly. So now the Wolverines, they shoot that other tank with an RPG... But I love one of the screaming. Eat me, eat me, rad, rad eighties dialogue. Uh, so someone inside the remaining tank then tosses like a frag grenade yeah, out, yeah. and it blows up and it wounds Powers Booth mortally. So Leah Thompson, she wants to go to his aid, but she gets held back. Uh, Powers Booth, he's he's like with his dying breaths, he pulls the pin on like a smoke grenade and plants it on that on that tank mm-hmm. to help mm-hmm. make it like more visible, I guess, to the other tank right. far off or whatever. Right. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So Swayze 
It's like, oh, fuck. We got to get out of here, go find cover. They all run for it. The American tank zeroes in on the tank, on the Soviet tank, and blows it the fuck up. Um, so Aardvark, apparently, yeah, and uh, Powers uh, Booth's character, they're annihilated, done. I they're, suppose. They're done. Later on, the Wolverines are mourning the loss of Arturo and Powers Booth. Leah Thompson's crying and saying she's never going to love anybody again. Which is like, okay, Weird. so I want to pause here okay. for a second. <laughs> there is context for this, right? Because in the in the movie that we have seen, that we have been talking about to this point, there has been the vaguest of mention of creepy romance between Leah Thompson's character and Powers Booth's character, but it mm-hmm. never goes anywhere. Yeah. There's apparently an entire storyline that was filmed. Oh, yeah. That they oh, yeah. cut from the final movie. Because when like they a scene sh- where they're hooking up? Or yeah, whatever. yeah. yeah. The, there was a scene where they were hooking up, and it, it tested so badly with test audiences that they cut it from the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... I don't know how we we debated right how old the girl characters yeah. are supposed to be. It meant like, but Powers Booth was like upper thirties, yeah, yeah, and Leah Thompson was definitely like lower twenties at her so oldest. At her lowest. oldest, yeah, right. So even in real life, it was like fourteen, thirteen years, yeah, age different, exactly. And it, I feel like it just gave everyone the creeps. <laughs> It did. But also, like we're talk, we're sitting around talking about his wife and everything. Like we don't know if she's not alive or right. not. We never establish if Powers Booth's wife is alive or dead. They said that apparently, like this was Leah Thompson in an interview talked about. Like okay. there was a beautiful love scene that they filmed. Oh, and they took the scene out of the movie, as you said. Yeah, because audiences were, were just like, "This is gross." I don't even know what to make of this. Oh, my God. But, yeah. So, now, she's mourning the loss of her one true love, I yep. guess. She's, like, saying, I'm never going to love anybody ever again. And then, oddly, C. Thomas Howell <laughs> says, if you didn't love anybody, you'd never be even be here. Which, what does that mean? So, the sense that I get is, is that if if you were such a total nihilist that you just didn't give a shit... Yeah. That you just roll over and die? I don't know. Like the reason that you fight is because you're fighting for someone you love. Like that was the right. only that was the only thing that I could take away yeah. from it, right? Yeah. But it's an odd line. But the thing that it felt like to me was that it was Milius or Reynolds or whoever wrote that line, probably Milius, who <laughs> uh was like, Okay, this is my Oscar line. Right? Like oh, this is this is that. This is the line that's going to get me the nomination. If you didn't love anybody, you'd never even be here. <laughs> this is odd. So now then Danny asks, should we bury Powers Booth? And right in front of, <laughs> right in front of her sister or whatever it is, Jennifer Grey is like, there's not much left to bury. <laughs> it's like, fuck, damn it. That paints a picture. That's a tough pill to swallow. I do. I mean, you know, we're <laughs> laughing, but at the same time, like there, there is an undercurrent of this movie. And again, I think it goes back to the original draft before Milius showed up and sort of turned it into more of a Dirty Harry, Raw Rocco America movie. That is deeply anti-war, right? Right. And I think that this is one of those lines that sneaks through. Yeah. That sort of, it, it, it creates an <laughs> odd juxtaposition between the war is good, war is bad. Yeah. And and honestly, it, in an unintentional way, in my opinion, it's one of the things that makes the movie so interesting to watch. Right? Sure. Yeah. Anyway. So, now... <laughs> 
cut to a Wolverine's funeral. Yes. Which was like such <laughs> such was his love of drinking. <laughs> the Powers Booth's grave is marked with his rifle and his flight helmet and an empty bottle of liquor. So <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> would think this moment to say that, that 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 grave marker was missing something. And it was missing a cigar. Because okay. Powers Booth, in every single thing, this movie included, that I have ever seen him in, at some point, he is chewing on a fucking cigar. Which, where, in the, in the, you're right. Yeah. Where did that cigar come from? Where did it come from? Maybe right. he had it on him. I wrote a note, like, does Powers Booth require in his contract that there is a scene in the movie where he smokes a cigar? It could be. I have never seen a movie where he does not smoke a cigar. <laughs> so, Danny is delivering this strange sort of prayer. I don't know what that was supposed to be. Where he's like asking God to take them away someplace where they can be little kids again and forget that this ever happened. Yeah. I, I I don't know. It would have made more sense that they laid in earlier, like that. Oh, if Danny was like the preacher's son, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Cause it does seem like an odd blessing to be giving and odd that Danny's all of a sudden, like the voice of, of God or whatever, the voice of like holiness. (laughs) The only thing I can think of is that this is a moment of rare self-realization uh, of the innocence that he's lost. Yeah. Right? So, like, he wants to go back to being Make them, just, dear Lord Jesus, make them little again. Right, so exactly. So they can forget that this ever happened. Right, that's the only thing I can think of. Sure. I don't know if that's a standard blessing. I've never heard anything like that before. <laughs> I mean, but, I was raised Catholic, and, and Catholics love rituals, and that wasn't a ritual that I was aware of. Yeah, same. So, same. Anyway. But, so later on, Charlie Sheen approaches Patrick Swayze, who's off on his own, like standing watch, it seemed like. And he says, everything's quiet. You know, you probably could do some sleep. Swayze's like, I'm fine. They stare off at the mountains as Charlie Sheen gets sort of philosophical with it. He's like, you know, it's strange. The mountains don't care whether we're laughing or crying. Uh, the mountains don't pay any attention to us at all. The wind just keeps on blowing, mm-hmm. or whatever, which is kind of good writing. I felt mm-hmm. like it was and, a good, it was a, it was a good moment and good yeah. work from Sheen, like yeah. a, glim- a glimpse into what he was going to bring to the table later on in Platoon. Yeah, um, Swayze's like, you know, we were bound to lose some people sooner or later, and Sheen is like, boy, you seem pretty short on emotion. And then Swayze's like, I can't afford it. Yeah, and. Sheen's like, you know, well, morale is kind of low with the people. I mean, everyone except for C. Thomas Howell (laughs) is talking about sort of quitting. Which I feel like at this point in time, the thing to do would be like, let's let's like try to get across lines and regroup with the Americans and be safe again. Yeah. Yeah. Like at least the people who want to leave. You can supply them and let them leave. I mean, there's a reason why you do a tour of duty, right? They rotate soldiers yeah. out because you reach a breaking point, right? Yeah. So at any rate, Patrick Swayze is like, well, what do you think? You know, and he's like, I'm your brother. Just make it count. Which I don't even know what that means, except I think it's like, don't let us die for nothing. Right. I, like, I, get, I think that that's what that like, line I'm is I'm ready to die, mean. like, right. obviously, but, but, like, make sure it counts for something. Yeah. So then we get a title card saying now it's February. The thing that I do love about this is that every time they do the cut title cards, it's always these amazing vistas of 
the mountains of Colorado, right? I mean, there mm-hmm. there are some really great just views. In oh, this dude, movie, I'm right? a big mountain guy, and like yeah. this like speaks to my soul, like seeing the scenery and yeah. everything like that. Yeah. So that's a big part of enjoying this movie for me is like even the the barren winters you know and everything like that i'm like it's just so beautiful to me i know we talked about this in episode one but just just the the cinematography i mean i'm gonna be honest it's not the greatest shot movie ever it is it's functional but it's not beautiful (laughs) i don't think i don't know if i mentioned this i so i ordered the dvd yeah of the movie to prep for this yeah and it was the shittiest transfer i've ever seen in my (laughs) life it must have been like a very very old dvd because it was one of the two sides with like the four by three on one oh side my god and the flip side it was 16 by nine but it was not enhanced for widescreen tvs so i like i'm looking at now a, a screen with black bars on the sides and on the top <laughs> yeah, and bottom the top. yeah and it was like there were fucking cigarette burns like on it it was like the worst transfer <laughs> i've ever seen on any sort of disc but i do feel like it was like the full experience yeah. of like a movie theater like viewing of the film it's it is interesting and we're we're getting really deep in the weeds here but we're both old enough that we we went to see movies back when it, they were on film and they sure. had multiple projectors and the cigarette burns were a real thing yeah yeah i and don't know how that makes it into a print that is then sold how does right i know that is it's such a weird thing and I think that they just they actually take the films and they run them through just like a yeah. computer that digitize them and the and the cigarette burns come through. But anyway, we, we got way off track, but it's February. Yes. We get a couple of vistas here. Um, we got the Soviets. They're holding some sort of a parade in Calumet. The weakest military parade yeah. I've ever seen in my life. So I think the guy leading that parade was like the new commander who's arrived. Right. With a new unit of soldiers. Yes, or exactly. Like He's wearing all his ribbons on the outside of his camouflage uh, snow camo or whatever, mm-hmm. which I thought was weird. But the townspeople are like sort of there unenthusiastically like waving Soviet flags. Okay. So this is a weird thing. He's not in the credits, and someone please this like, actor. This so there is a there's a scene during the military parade that cuts to a random Soviet troop. I swear to God, it was Bruno Kirby. I watched <laughs> it like four times. Shit. I got on I got on IMDb. I I was like, he's not Ain't credited. No way. Unless he's like tight with Milius or something, and they're like, do you want to just. Just like a th- hanging around set one day, do you want to be on film? But it was it was this it was so random odd because Kirby. it was cut to a random oh. Soviet soldier. Okay. He's not doing anything. He has no lines of dialogue. He has we we don't ever go back to him. But it is such a random cut. But it, I swear <laughs> to God, it's Bruno Kirby. I so swear to God. At our next opportunity, we're gonna rewatch <laughs> and see if it is Bruno Kirby. Bruno, no, he's he passed away a while. He did, ago, unfortunately. Think, you know, yeah, but a phenomenal. Otherwise, actor. he could let us know personally. Yeah. yeah, a close friend with Billy Crystal. I mean, in so many of his movies and a ton of other things. So <laughs> anyway, yeah, but yeah, we got the townspeople. They're looking on, sort of unenthusiastic about all this shit. Yeah, Milius had said, I think that he thought of this movie as like as similar to a zombie movie. Like the Soviets came and they turned all the townspeople into zombies. Oh, that's interesting. Which I'm like, okay, maybe. I can get That's fun. I like that. Yeah. So after moving all of his ribbons from 
the outside of his camouflage to his normal uniform. Yeah. We got the new Russian commander. <laughs> yeah. He's appearing in front of a gathering of soldiers and he's briefing them on like how they're going to fight the Wolverines. He, this dude, the actor, I don't know his name, whatever, but he played Conan's dad and Conan the Barbarian. Oh. And he was like a real life, like he was a CIA agent who had been like deep cover in Russia and shit like that. Like, he was an Air Force veteran turned CIA agent. He's fluent in Russian. Oh, wow. Like that. Like, this dude has lived a life. That's but, awesome. So he tells all the guys, you know, I'm sick and tired of how the leadership is trying to sugarcoat the situation. We've been lying about having the Wolverines under control and all of our lives have the stench of death and defeat. Like, <laughs> right? So this is says, a great scene. The only way to win a war is by destroying your enemy. Yeah. Fucking hard line. Dude. Yeah. So he says, you know, we're fighting Wolverines, small, ferocious animals. Yeah. It takes a hunter to defeat an enemy like that. And he's a hunter. He says, from now on, no more retribution against the civilian population, which was a bad idea from the get go. Right. He's like, look, if, if you if a fox comes in and kills all your chickens, line. you don't kill the pig. Because he saw the fox, you mimic the fox, you become a hunter, and you hunt it down and find it where it lives and kill it. The thing that I love about this whole scene, there's two things that I love about the scene, because that's a great line. Yeah. You become the fox. Like, that's that's great. But he's got all of these boards, because obviously this predates PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got all these boards with all these printed images everywhere. Some of them are make sense, like some of the military tactics that are going on. Okay. The high school photos of the kids. Yeah. Sort of the topography of Calumet, uh, Colorado. But there's this entire board devoted to the biology of wolverines. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we got to do a deep dive on the wolverines. And there's like paw prints and there's photos and there's all <laughs> this random shit on this one board that I feel is completely unnecessary. Yeah. But this guy is so steeped in the mythology of the wolverines that he he needs to understand the actual animalistic nature of this creature. Uh, absolutely. And the other thing that I love... You can't kill a Wolverine unless you become a Wolverine. Unless you become a Wolverine. And the other thing that I love, the sunglasses that Bear is is wearing. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It is amazing. I mean, this guy has been rocking sunglasses through this whole movie. And the sunglasses, I swear to God... He was at like Studio 54 the night before <laughs> doing lines off of some fucking coked up hooker, right? Like <laughs> he was like six fucking whiskeys deep and he's like, oh shit, I got to go to this meeting yeah, with briefing. this dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I wear my sunglasses indoors. Indoors. And he shows up full military regalia with the most baller sunglasses I have ever seen. <laughs> Amazing. So the, so the, whatever the new guy is, whatever his name is, he gives a good speech. Do you know who is? I don't even remember. I don't know his, his name. It Do doesn't matter. Did the ever say his character he name? He had a name, I'm sure. It but doesn't even matter. He's the Soviet guy. Yeah, he's the, the Soviet he's guy. He's like the head boss. Right. So now a squad of Soviet troops in snow camouflage, they're moving through the snow and they have a device they got some sort of high-tech device with them that's guiding them we have no clue what's going on but they're walking right into an ambush because the wolverines are there waiting they're like laid out with their guns 
like fucking locked and loaded mm-hmm. and shit. Um, the Wolverines open fire. They lay waste to the Soviets. The shooting stops, and then we're hearing like a bunch of it's kind of dark, like this moaning of yeah. injured so. Yeah. Now, C. Thomas Howell, he tosses his spin rifle, and he goes around with the shotgun, s- fucking sawed off, and he's just finishing dudes just off. Just like walking around. Which is fucking this mo- grim. He, this motherfucker is cold as ice. That part feels more like murder than, like, actual war. Like, executing wounded men is different than winning a battle. That you is, know what I mean? And the and the, the Soviet soldier, and I'm jumping ahead of myself. Let's continue. Okay, okay, yes. Okay. But Danny's Danny seems burned out on the killing. Like yeah. I, at some point, Swayze comes up and he's like, "Your gun's jammed." Yeah, as he's just standing over a wounded soldier. He's clearly been like pulling the trigger over and over again. Nothing's yeah. happened. Yeah. So later on, they take one wounded soldier back as like a hostage. They're interrogating him at camp. There's a language barrier, which is funny. Yeah. Where, where uh, I think it's Jennifer Gray's like, or no, no, it's Leah Thompson's like, Speckensy Deutsch. Yeah. And then Charlie, she's like, so what if he does? You don't, <laughs> sp- you don't speak German. Uh, they want to know basically what is this device that led you to us? I want to know where the Wolverines were. Like, how did they know that these guys were coming? I mean, the, the whole, this they whole They were like moment. laying in wait. Right, exactly. It was so weird. And I guess we could like script right and justify it. But the reality of the situation is, is that it needed to happen for the sake of the movie. Maybe they saw them coming up the mountain or I guess something. Again, like, like, yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Sure, I don't know. But it's never specified. No. So now... They get a little rough with the dude, smacking him around. I think Leah Thompson puts a cigarette, cigarette out on him or whatever. From Charlie Sheen's request, like, put your butt out on him. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking wild. <laughs> he curses them with some broken English. Hilarious broken English. They kick him around a little bit. Danny doesn't like this shit. They're no. hurting him yeah. or whatever. The group is, like, starting to fall apart, I think, yep. is what we're getting here. Yep. The tension is rising. We got Charlie Sheen, who somehow gets the device working is beeping rapidly like like oh it's in this direction it's in this direction yeah it's weird but so (laughs) it he seems to guide him as he approaches darren dalton who slouched over in shame and swayze grabs him is like what what did you do you know and um how are they tracking you and he's like they made me swallow swallow it it. (laughs) weird He said basically he snuck down into town to see his family, which Swayze's like, why, motherfucker? Yeah. And he's like, because you said we couldn't, which is a, a weird line. Is yeah. that like, that's a shit answer. So Darren Dalton says, you know, my dad turned me in. And he says, they did, they the did th- things, things you, can't, you imagine, can't imagine. Right. Which is dark. So and they forced him to cooperate. So this is my least favorite part of the movie. And I, I just want to take a moment okay. to like address this because there's so much that happened here that the movie just glosses over. For sure. Right? Like huge plot points. So he was gone for a while. Did they know he must was have been gone? Days they were torturing him. Right, right? Exactly. And he came back. Did he not have any wounds that anybody noticed? It's like, where have you been? Right. Exactly. Darren? So there's so much happening. And I also think like this character would have been way more sympathetic if we had actually seen what was happening to him. Yeah. 
Right. That's what I wanted to ask you, like, what are your thoughts on them skipping over all that? I, I, okay. So I think that it's interesting that it happened in retrospect, but I think it would have been stronger from a POV standpoint if we saw how much he endured, right? Yeah, right. Because at the end of the day, these these are high school kids. They're not they're not soldiers. Yeah, they've never been through boot camp. They've never been through any of this training, right? And in fact, Daryl, Darren, um, he he was the one who at the beginning of the movie is like, we should surrender, right? Let's surrender, bros. His dad is the one who's like Vichy France, right? So. <laughs> yeah. Like he is the weakest of all of them, and to try to sympathize him a little bit would probably have been a good idea. Yeah. So the fact that this all comes out of nowhere, it it was my least favorite part of the movie. I mean, it was a okay. vital and important part of the movie, but it was the weakest. It part moves of the, the movie. plot along, but it it's does. like, wait, what? What happened? Yeah. Now? We yeah, don't yeah, yeah. see. Off screen, off screen, a bunch of important shit happens. Pivotal, this pivotal piece of information happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so now later on, they appear as though they're getting ready to execute the Russian captive as well as Darren Dalton. Yeah, by firing squad, the Russians is uh, complaining this di- this violates the, the Geneva, Geneva Convention, Geneva, which he's Swayze. right about. No, for sure. <laughs> Swayze's like, I never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> whatever good delivery yeah like of the main cast i feel like swayze is the one who's really shining yeah um yeah and he sold the last scene as well where he was like what'd you do yeah. what did you do yeah um and he's selling this one as well so the russian's a fucking piece of shit though oh he's it's like, like you guys parachuted in shooting civilians yeah so don't talk about geneva convention oh i know i know this guy I couldn't wait for the Russian to die, honestly. <laughs> I was, like, so ready for him to go. Yeah. Well, now, Danny is protesting, saying, you know, we can't execute one of our own. And Swayze's telling him, shut up. <laughs> Swayze says, you know, he betrayed the Wolverines. He led the Soviets to us. He's got to go. Yep. Uh, he orders everyone, pick up your rifles. And Charlie Sheen is like, no, we're not doing it. Yep. So we saw, I think... This is started when Arturo and Powers Booth died. Yeah. Where like the group is starting to sort of crack. Yeah. Under the pressure of it all. Now. This is sort of the, the the cracks in the foundation. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. So Charlie Sheen's saying, "Look, if we execute Darren Dalton, was like, what's the difference between us and the Soviets?" And so he's just like, "Because we live here." Which is. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's true. All right. Yeah. True enough. Uh, granted. So Swayze draws his pistol. He walks over and just shoots the Russian. Yeah, he does. Without hesitation. Yeah. Really, honestly. Wild. Yeah. Darren Dalton is begging for mercy. Swayze doesn't seem like he can bring himself to shoot uh, that dude. Then see Thomas Howell steps in and blows him away. Without hesitation. And it wasn't even like a merciful killing. No, no, like, no. Because he shot him and the dude's still alive. Yeah. And he's like stumbles over and grabs C. Thomas Howell and hugs him. Yeah. Collapses, like leaving uh, C. Thomas Howell literally with the blood all over him. <laughs> yep. Yep. So it was it was dark. It was a dark moment. Yeah. yeah, dude. So they mount up on their horses and ride off. I don't even like I don't necessarily feel like the others would forgive C. Thomas Howell for doing this thing. But that's never really mentioned. So now later on, Patrick Swayze, he's looking at uh, pictures of two little little leaguers on a thing and crying, which is weird. But also, who is it even supposed to be in the picture? I assume... Was it Darren Dalton? I guess so. Was it Charlie Sheen? I don't know who it would be. It was unclear. I mean, I think the larger 
the the larger commentary is the loss of innocence. Is the loss of innocence, right? Sure. I don't. At any rate, I feel like there's a massive age difference between like Sheen or Derek yeah. Dalton, who are yeah. still high schoolers. The photo doesn't make any him, sense in any. Context. I don't feel like they would have been on the same little league team. Yeah, but that like if it was Darren Dalton, who I feel like it should be. Right, that's what I thought. They weren't friendly with each other. No, they weren't. Like earlier, he's like, you jock. Yeah. Whatever quarterback, Mr. Quarterback. Like not friendly to the point that he's been carrying a picture of them as children in his wallet for years. (laughs) The only thing that I can think of is that they were the best of friends when they were kids. Right. And they went in different directions. But there's, they they seem like they had beef. Right. At the beginning. But like now we see he's got a picture of them as kids in his wallet. It, it is a weird. It's a weird thing that they didn't need to do this scene. In my opinion, it was it was odd. It was the most like the scene before when uh, they they kill the Russian soldier and they kill Daryl's character. Yeah, it was the most profound scene of the whole movie. Okay, I mean, like, to me that was the apotheosis of the concept of the loss of the, the way that right. war destroys innocence. Right. Yes. Uh, on multiple levels, the way that Patrick Swayze can't kill his friend, the way that C. Thomas Howell's character is willing to kill his friend, the ruthlessness of the Russian soldiers, like just complete inability to accept responsibility. But that scene was actually impacted me like that okay. affected me. Right. Yeah. But then the cut to the scene where Patrick Swayze is clumsily trying like to open this, this. <laughs> this uh, photo. Yeah. That the whole this is the part of the movie more than any other part that to me illustrates like I it's an example of the movie's got like weird just weird pacing right exactly yeah. like sometimes it'll blow right over really important shit yeah like Darren Dalton yeah uh, winding up captive and and <laughs> snitching and <laughs> like swallowing what the homing been device like a or whatever ten minute scene like easily could have been easily ten and minutes. then we're like lingering on these quiet moments. Like I, I stopped the movie for, well, first of all, I'll say I don't have a problem with long movies, yeah. but I feel like this one could have been a lot shorter right? and it would have probably been for the betterment of the movie or whatever. But like, I also don't have a problem with movies lingering on quiet moments. If it matters. But it- when you're also, when you're doing that, but you're also blowing past important shit. Then it's like, wait, what's happening here? Right, I agree. I, t- I timed the shit from the time they killed uh, Darren Dalton to the next time anyone like says anything. It's like two full minutes of screen time, and uh, like we said, twenty seconds of which is like him fumbling to get the wallet, like the photo out of the wallet, yeah. and unfold it. Yeah, and he's looking at it. Yeah, and I feel like in a better paced movie. You just cut to he's got the picture out he's already. He's got the picture out already. Or just cut that out. Right? Because yeah. we, we haven't really mean built anything. a relationship. We don't even know who this is. Exactly. We haven't seen this photo before. We have no context for it. The scene before was strong enough as is. They should have just cut to black and moved on to the next story moment. And it, again, it is the weakest part of the movie, and it should be the most impactful yeah, part of the Yeah, it's like movie. the biggest, the poignant right. moment that exactly. moves us on into Act 3 or whatever. Exactly. And it was like it was such a shame because that scene was so powerful, and then we cut to Patrick Swayze fumbling to open a photograph of a guy, of a, like a, 
We don't have any context. We don't know who it is. We don't know who this is. It might not be Darren Dalton. I don't know. Right, exactly. So It doesn't make sense that if they're four years different in age, they were on the Little League team together. Exactly, exactly. So it was just... Uh, it was like this moment. I was, I was like the the pathos of what was going on, and it was completely undermined because the next scene completely took me out of it. Yeah. Anyway, no, I'm with you. Anyway, <laughs> I feel like that's a good stopping point. Yeah. No, I'm 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 tired of talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna put a pin in it. All right. For we're now. gonna okay. we're gonna come back next week. We're gonna finish off. The last chapter of our breakdown, and I and I will red dawn, and I will finish off my second bottle of wine. Holy shit! Yeah, let's see how drunk we get. Cause I'm pretty drunk. <laughs> I'm right pretty drunk. Now. I'm good. I got a half a glass left. You got a half a bottle. I got left. a half. Well, no, I got like a well, yeah, close. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, until next time, dear listeners, uh, <laughs> keep your friends close. <laughs> And your your commies even closer. Even closer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be back. We'll be back. We'll be back.